All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. It's your host, Tom Malamo. Call me Tommy Tahoe. Uh, this is the show where young salespeople come to learn more on their career journeys in sales. Pumped for today's episode, we got a guest, got an interview with Moore Asseline. Moore is the founder of FDTC, which stands for From Demo to Close. Um, prior to, or, or he's also the creator of SaaS Talks, uh, which is a podcast. Prior to that, he's had multiple VPs of sales jobs at companies like Okendo and Practice Panther. Um, and he tells an amazing story of being too afraid and is so afraid in his first sales job to make a cold call that he quit on the very first day. Four years later, he got back into the sales game um, and just has a, a crazy good story about overcoming those fears uh, to get to where he has been today, super successful, and now coaching uh, reps on how they can close more demos. That's what his company does. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. If you're someone out there that's in the front lines, cold calling, if you're someone that uh, wants to improve their demo game, if you're someone that is interested in uh, going out and, and you know creating some sort of, uh, of company on their own or podcast on their own, uh, being a VP of sales, a sales leader, all those different things more and I touch on. It's a great great conversation. Highly suggest you check him out on LinkedIn as well. Before we get to the interview, just a quick word. Uh, I'm putting out a ton of content uh, every single day on LinkedIn. Set me up, uh, Tom Alamo there. I work over at Gong. And then you can also check out the content. We're doing a ton of clips that we're putting out uh, on YouTube as well. If you're not watching there, the Tommy Tahoe channel on YouTube, uh, Twitter, Instagram as well. But YouTube uh, and the podcast and LinkedIn are the best places to find me. Um, definitely hit a subscribe wherever you're listening on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. That's what really helps this show grow and get better content, better guests, all of that. So hit me up there. Uh, without further ado, let's get straight into my conversation with more Asseline. Let's go. More Asseline. Happy <laughs> Friday. Coming out of the beautiful state of Florida. What's up, my man? Not too much. What's going on with you? Nothing, man. Excited to excited to be here. Excited to be chatting and and get into your story. Uh, we've we've been interacting on the LinkedIn comments for it feels like months and months now. Uh, so it's always interesting to you know put a face to the name, so to speak, and, and yeah. learn more about the man behind the comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been I've been following you a little bit. Yeah. Uh, well, likewise, you have, you have such a captivating headline. Uh, I changed it. I changed LinkedIn. it last night, actually. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. You, I changed it last my night. First question. <laughs> <laughs> I changed it last night. Cause I felt like it was all about me. Um, and it was like, look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I did. Um, and so I just changed it last night, but you, I, I, you could talk about it. The, the old one and I'll, I'll, I'll answer. <laughs> what does it say now? Now it just says uh, founder of FTTC and then my website demo to close and then um, what I do. So I help AEs and B2B SaaS companies that are struggling to take quota close more demos. So nice. it's a little bit it's a little bit more about how I help versus what I've done. Okay. And before it was something to the extent of uh, I quit my first sales job. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and became a 3x sales leader, yeah. 2x VP tripling ARR for two different companies in the same. Pretty year. much. Yeah. 11 years ago, I quit my first sales job because I was scared of sales. Yeah. But today I'm, you know, th three time, four time sales leader, you know, two time VP of sales, triple ARR for two companies in 12 months. Again, a lot of hype around me. Um, and so that that's already, that exists in the, in the about section of my uh, LinkedIn. So if anybody wants to read it, they could go there, but otherwise, yeah. It's fun. Like LinkedIn is fun, right? Like you have your header, you have that tagline, then you have your banner. And that essentially is a piece of real estate. And so when you comment on other people's posts, what do they see? They see your face. They don't see the banner. You just see your face and your tagline. And so I created a 11 years ago, I quit sales because I was scared of it tagline because it, it was a hook. It got people to go to visit my profile. Um, and I may change it in a couple of months or a couple of weeks. I may change it for something else. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. So let's, let's get into that story. 11 years ago. Was that, was that Keller Williams or is that a different job? That was, uh, da, 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 da. no, that wasn't Keller Williams. Keller Williams came after, um, that was straight out of college. I was 22. Um, I found a job on Craigslist. Um, and it was sort of like a living social. 
um, the job requirement was for me to cold call restaurants um, and I think supermarkets too, and then pitch them this like coupon partnership with this particular, I forgot the name of the company. I don't even know if they exist today. Um, and it was cold calling, right? Like it was like a legit company. The founder was really nice. Um, a decent base salary for back then. I think it was like, what, like 35K or 40K. Like today it's like chump change, but back then it was like, whoa, it's pretty good. Um, yeah. And that was the first, my first, first, I mean, I had jobs throughout college, right? Like I had a retail, I like, I had a family friend that had like a mortgage company. So I did some cold calling, but it was like, I really didn't. I only called like three numbers because I was too scared. But this was like the first official job after college, right? Like it was going to go on my resume. And why did you choose that job or why did you choose sales coming out of school? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I don't know. Sales was just like the default. Um, yeah. I, I, again, like I don't think people are like, oh, I want to be in sales. They just sort of stumble on it. And, it's, and everyone hires for sales because nobody wants it. Um, and so you can easily find a sales job. Um, I, I didn't want to study sales. I, I studied um, uh, marketing, but what I really wanted to do was be um, like Mad Men advertising guy. I wanted yeah. to be like the Don Draper of, of the world. Um, and so I loved, I loved copywriting. I was a copywriter at a, one of the, the, the largest advertising agencies in South Florida or in Florida, um, Zimmerman Advertising. I had an internship there um for a few months while i was in college and i did copy i wrote copy for their ads so the radio ads tv ads billboards and i loved it i, I love copy um and then um that completely changed when i just started like noticing the trend in like 20 well i graduated 2010 in college so like 20 2008 2009 2010 um things were going all digital billboards and like radio ads and TV ads weren't as popular as like SEO and digital marketing and banners. I was like, ah, I'm not so interested in that so much. I mean, um, now I'm in, I am interested, but like, I didn't like where, where advertising was headed and I was very old yeah. school about it. And I was like, all right, like whatever, I'll just study marketing and I can always get a job in advertising if I study marketing. Um, and then after college, I was applying to marketing jobs and then I found a job on Craigslist. I'm like, you know, I'll just take it because it's the right thing to do after college. You're supposed to get a full-time job and do your thing. And so I took it. Um, and um, yeah, I just took it because I just felt like that was the thing to do after college. Yeah. And yeah. so you, according to your headline, quit because you were scared of sales. Uh, so yeah. Tell, tell me about that. Yeah. So it's funny. So I did retail sales in college in like, I worked at Fossil, Kenneth Cole. It's very different. Um, um, it's, you're not cold calling anybody. This was a pure prospecting play. Um, and so I came into the office. So the interview went really, really well. Um, the founder at the time already was in a late stage interview with somebody else. And after my interview with them, he's like, you know, to be honest with you, like, I, we like you more. We like your energy and we think you'll, be, you'll do better. So we want to hire you. Um, so we'll tell the other person that they won't come to the company. I said, yeah, that's great. Um, so I came in on a Monday morning. I think it was like a 10 to seven type of shift came on a Monday morning. He's like really warm, really cool office environment. Ordered me business cards. He's like, Hey, here's your employee. Here are your colleagues, your coworkers. Here's a computer. Here's your desk. You know, get comfortable and he calls. And the first thing I did after introducing myself to the employees was I went, I opened up, I turned on the computer and I, I used Hotmail back in the day and I turned on my, I opened up my email Hotmail and I just started archiving old mail. I was trying to like not get on a call and I was just trying to buy yeah. time. And I, and I just got like a uh, crazy pit of anxiety in my stomach. I was like, holy shit, I, I can't call. I'm like, I'm not going to call, especially in front of like strangers that I just met. They're going to hear me what I say. I, 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 I don't want to do, I, I, and then I started getting into like this rabbit hole in my mind. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I, I can't do this. So I go to the bathroom and I literally splash water on my face. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't, I can't do this. And so I walked over to the, the, the boss's room and I'm like, he looked at me, he's like, what's up? I'm like, I'm so sorry. I, I just, this isn't for me. I don't think sales is for me. I'm so sorry. And he just looked at me like, what? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm sorry. He's like, Okay. It was just a weird moment. I, I grabbed my stuff. I left. I left within within an hour of coming in for the first day. I left. Quit. Wow. Yeah. He didn't try to talk you out of it. Coach I, you up. No, I think he just... He, who the hell does that? Right? Like, who quits on the first day? And like, I had like 
fear in my eyes. Like I, I was like, I'm not touching this. I'm not doing this. Um, and when you see that, I don't think he'll try to coach. He's like, he's like, you sure? I was like, yeah, yeah, it's not for me. And I drove home and I was like, oh my God. I was like, how am I, what am I going to tell my dad? <laughs> like, that's the first thing I thought, like, what am I going to tell my dad? What did you tell your dad? <laughs> I told him I quit and he freaked out. <laughs> yeah. He freaked out. He's like, what? Are you crazy? Like, my dad's like very like work ethic. We, we, we're immigrants from Israel to, to, to the States. So we, yeah. I came in at two and a half years old. My parents started from scratch. We didn't know a word of English. Um, my mom didn't know how to drive. Like we, we, nothing. Scratch. Like we went to the thrift store, got like furniture. Um, we stayed at my uncle's house. It was, it was just, it was a crazy, crazy uh, time growing up. But uh, um, yeah, so hit in his mind, that's like just a very entitled, spoiled type of move. And, uh, and for him, he came, he was, when we immigrated to, to, to these, the States, he was 40 years old with three kids starting from scratch. That's not easy. Um, and um, he's like, wow, you got to call him back. I'm like, I can't. And I mean, he gave me like a hell of a speech, like a, not, I want to call it a speech. You're like just shouting. And um, yeah. And I, I was like, shit. Okay. I, I guess I'll email the guy back just because my dad told me to <laughs> like, and so I did, I emailed him back, but like the guy never responded. And then like, for like the next two years, my dad would always say, you remember that time that you quit? And da, 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 da. Um, but yeah, I'll never forget that day, that the day that I quit. It was actually raining outside. It was like depressing. <laughs> does does your dad still give you shit about uh, like, hey, now you're you're back at like, does he <laughs> like bring up the irony of like, hey, you're like a sales trainer? Not, a, like- not at all, actually. Um, no, he if anything, he's more proud now and like he sees like my work ethic. I, I after that, after me quitting that job, that's when it went like downhill. Um, and for like three years straight, I was a bum. I would wake up at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I would um I, I was still no, I was right out of college. Uh I wake up in the afternoon, go to sleep late, eat like crap, um, wouldn't get out of bed. I was lazy. Um, man, I was a bum. I was a bum. And so um, now I'm the complete opposite of that, making up for my twenties. And so he doesn't say anything now. And now I'm married with two kids and I'm, I moved out of the house. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Wait. So how long were you doing that? You said you say three years. Yeah. Three years. I was just like, after that incident, like after that scenario, like time of quitting, um, I was job hopping. So I would take a job and I would quit or I, uh, I'd get fired. Um, I would apply and I just wouldn't respond to their, uh, like, what that's the thing right like if you have a fear of anything if yeah. you avoid it <clears throat> if you deliberately avoid it um you'll you, you're, you're just going to set yourself up for failure because um you go you create a bigger deal than it is and so sales was for me like holy crap a big deal to do and so any job that required me to pick up the phone even if it was like an inbound call like i wouldn't i wouldn't take it um and uh i, I missed a lot of opportunities um I was very entitled. I was like, oh, I got to go back to marketing now because marketing doesn't do sales. And yeah, it was it was a really like low time. I remember my friend came home and I was dating somebody and then I broke up with it and I was like, depressed on top of that. My friend came home. Uh, my friend came over to like just visit me and he's like, dude, you stink. You haven't showered. Like, what do you do all day? I'm like, nothing. I'm like, I do nothing all day. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. It- it, it just reminded me of the scene and uh, this is kind of very random, but the scene in wedding crashes where like, Oh, yeah, it goes down the drain and <laughs> pretty much it's like, Hey man, like it was, figure your shit out. it was like that. It, it was like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause like I knew in the back of my mind, I knew sales was something I'm going to have to face again. It sort of was yeah. like haunting me. I, I had like serious sales PTSD, like, um, I remember I, I took a, I had to get a job. I had to get, I make some money. So I knew a family friend that had a cash advance business. And so they said, Hey, come work with us. Um, you won't do sales. You'll do some marketing, whatever it is. I'm like, okay, cool. And so I know both PowerPoints for that stupid job. He just, he gave me like a you know handout. And then at one point, like they had like a lot of inbound calls. Like I need you to pick up the phone. I'm like, that wasn't what I was hired to do. I was so scared. I was like, I'm not picking up the phone. And so I pick up the phone and give it to my colleague. And um, yeah, I was freaking out. I was freaking out. Um, yeah, and even when I took, I got, I was a marketing manager at a company. Phone rang. I wouldn't pick it up. I was just scared, literally scared to pick it up. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because that's pretty. Com- I mean, it's pretty common to be afraid of of making calls and and doing all that. Like even if you've been doing it, you know, there's still that call reluctance that can that can pop up from time to time. Yeah. That, 
you know, feeling like you're you're going to fail or, but what, do you remember what it was within the call that you were so, you know, avoidant of? Was it getting yelled at? Was it doing a bad job or they're going to think I, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm dumb or. Yeah. I think it was like, um, I, I cared too much about what people think. And I was, yeah. I was scared of being judged. And, and so you mix the two of, I cared what people thought about me. Plus I don't want to get judged. So you mix the two. It's like, Oh my gosh, what if like here are like some thoughts are popping in my head. What if I pick up the phone and I speak and the person that's next to me, not the person on the phone, the person that's next to me, my manager, my colleagues be like, Oh, more doesn't know what he's doing. Like more sounds like an amateur. Ha ha ha. Like that's what went through my head. Or I was too aware of, of what was happening around me and like too aware of like my feelings and not like in the, I wasn't in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even as like, uh, I think a lot of like sales leaders that have sales reps under them, a lot of times they actually don't show them how it's done. They don't pick up the phone and make the call. They don't do the demo. They don't, they don't do all these things. And I think one of the biggest reasons is, is because they fear being judged by their sales team in case they get it wrong, in case they screw up. Cause they don't want to be, cause they're like, they don't want their reps to be like, uh, how can he be a sales manager? How can he be a VP of sales if he can't even close a client? And he's telling us what, to, like, I think that's a fear that a lot of sales leaders have. Um, and so they avoid pick, uh, like getting in the trenches yeah. and no one will admit it. I mean, I, I, I'll admit that that I would be, uh, you know, I'm not a sales leader right now, but that if you're in the group, you know, on, on a zoom call or in the room with people and you make a call and, they haven't done it before. Um, you definitely have the the fear of, you know, yeah. are they going to still follow me if they know that I'm, I'm not perfect? You know, there's kind of this, I feel like uh, this, this thought when you're starting in sales that the sales leader is like, they're per like you bring yeah. them in, they'll close anyone like one call close. Like, yeah. and that's just not how it works that they, they have more experience. They're better than you. Cause you're just starting. But um, you know, some sales leaders, are also just not even very good at sales. They, they just, yeah. you know, you don't need to so be a, it, a, yeah, you don't need to be great at sales to be a sales leader. Um, like Phil Jackson, Lakers coach. He wasn't like the best basketball player in the world. He wasn't like Michael Jordan, but he was right. a phenomenal coach. Uh, uh, Mike Tyson's, uh, 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 Diamato, I forgot his first name. Um, his, his trainer wasn't yeah. like Muhammad Ali. He was like, he was known, but he wasn't like the Mike Tyson or the Muhammad Ali of his time. Um, but he was an amazing coach who made Tyson what Tyson was. Um, and same with Phil Jackson and all these other big coaches and leaders and trainers. Um, and, or Tony Robbins, for example, he doesn't have a, he's not a certified life coach, but the guy n- knows more about life and how to like coach people in life than many life coaches with certificates. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. So what, was the turning point for you after three years of waking up at noon, feeling yeah. depressed, eating like shit, hopping from job to job? Like, it just sounds like a, yeah, I don't mean this in any offense. It just sounds like a really, really tough, miserable time. Yeah, it was. So like, how do you, and, and you seem to, you seem to be doing quite well and happy and you have a family <laughs> and you know, all these different things. So like what, what, what changed? Yeah. Um, there was, I don't think there was like a moment of like, oh my God, eureka moment. What am I doing in my life? It wasn't like that. I, I don't think even when I was like dating my wife, I don't think it was a moment. I was like, wow, my soulmate. It wasn't like that. It was just like incremental yeah. moments that built up over time. And I was like, and then you take a st- If you take a step back, if after a year, after a month or after the day, you, you look at your day, your life, you look at, you take a step back, look at it from an outside perspective you will tend to see patterns if you give yourself enough time. And if you're self-aware like that, um, right. Like, uh, like saving money, right? Like if you just put money aside and put money aside, put money aside or investing money. And then one day you come back and you look at, it, you're like, Oh my God, look how much money I saved. But if you look at it every day, you won't notice it. And so I think over time, I clearly, I wasn't happy. Um, my, my friends all were in, I mean, I was in college, they all graduated college, but they all had like a pretty good job. They were living in New York, having fun, whatever. They, I feel like they all had it together. Um, I was 20, what was, I? I was 25 at that time, 26 or something. And I just sort of, um, I was starting to pay attention to like what was happening. Like 
I was paying attention. Like how long, you know, I'd ask myself like, how long has it been? Oh, it's been, you know, three years. So what have I accomplished? Oh, nothing. <laughs> like I would look at these type of things. What, ha- what has that person accomplished? And then like you start getting down and like you beat yourself up over for being lazy. And some people, they have two options. One, once they do that, they think of, oh shit, look what, I've, look, what I, look what I've done. It's too late to come back or there's too much effort to come back from this. So let me just go down this rabbit hole of uh, uh, like self-destruction. Plenty of people do that. And it's easier to do that because you're already in the shit. So just stay in the shit. And then other people say like, oh my gosh, this is the worst situation ever. I can't, I can't, I can't live like this. And then they start making changes. And so I think that's what happened to me. It was just like a moment of like self-awareness and paying attention to my surroundings and myself. And I was like, I don't like where I'm at. Um, and I want to change. And that's what happened. I just started changing. And then um, after I was like a market, I was a marketing manager at a company. Then I wanted to do real estate. So I got into, I joined a real estate company in like acquisitions, but like it was a very sketchy company that closed down. They did a lot of shady stuff. And then I was like, you know what? I want to do real estate. Um, and so maybe I need to learn real estate from the ground up. And I joined Keller Williams because I asked a few people, they said Keller Williams has really good training and coaching and all that. I'm like, all right, I like that mentorship. Okay. So I joined um, and in like the orientation of like the new agents, they you know talked about cold calling and door knocking and I think I was like in it to win it, so to speak. And then I met a mutual friend that was there and I came up to him I'm like, Hey, you know, I know your sister, blah, blah, blah. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Long story short, we decided like to partner up and cold call and door knock together and, and hold each other accountable. And we created a group called, uh, I think it was called the Gibor group, which meant courageous group in Hebrew. Courageous is Gibor. Um, and we said, all right, we're going to follow the Keller Williams way and we'll, we'll download, we'll buy the scripts. We will buy the, 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 the tech stack that they need. And uh, we would cold call from uh, 9 a.m. to like 11.30. That's what they said, like 8 a.m., 9 a.m. to 11.30. And then we would door knock for two hours after that um, in like, like the area that we lived in, Sunny Isles. And then we did that for, for a year. And then like you don't make money as an agent unless you close or rent. And so I needed to make some money. And so I, I went on Craigslist and then I found uh, Allstate Insurance. They were hiring for a cold caller, telemarketer, 10 bucks an hour. I was like, yeah, let me, let me do it because I, I just need some money. And I think it'll help me with the cold. It's just extra practice on cold calling. And so I went in there. And so I was, so real estate was like a nine to like 3 p.m. day. And then after, and then uh, 3.30 to like 6.30, I would do cold calling at Allstate. So I would leave real estate, cold calling. I do this every day. So for 12 months, I was cold calling, door knocking, cold calling, door knocking. Um, and that's what got me over my fear of sales. Um, plus I had an accountability partner. My, my, my partner wanted to like work together. So, you know, we can like pump each other up. And so the, the days where he was uncomfortable pushing back on an objection or the days where he didn't feel comfortable knocking on the doors, I felt like I need to be the hero. And so I would knock on the doors and that, that would just like, feed me with more confidence um and then we're there were moments when we were door knocking where um it could have easily made somebody say sales is not for me and walked away um many times like uh i mean i did stuff that i would never thought i would do like i knocked on a door in an area called golden beach which is a really expensive area um multi-millionaires live there like it's like super super expensive and um we had to get a solicitation permit because it's such a private community and so i knocked on the door housekeeper opened up um the owner of the house is in the balcony within the house it's like they have an inside balcony and she's like we're not interested we're not interested and my my friend was door knocking and and so right before they closed the door i took my foot and i put it in between the door and so they couldn't close it and like i kept talking to the to the to the owner of the house and my friend's like whoa like he was like whispering in hebrew like what were you doing like don't do that and um and i was like and i just felt more confident after that and Another time was when we door knocked and the guy was chasing us out of our ho- uh, out of his house. Um, but um, yeah, and then that just got me in, in like I wasn't a good agent. Like I mean, not a good agent. I wasn't a successful agent. At least the first year is the hardest. Meaning, meaning looking back, made a lot of mistakes. But um, I think that year got me just to the place of like, okay, I'm good with sales. Like I'm I'm comfortable doing sales, and I can now go after sales roles where I can make a lot of money. And that's essentially I think why I had to go through that phase. You're like, you're like someone that's afraid of, of swimming or something, or doesn't know how to swim and to learn how to swim. They just like 
go like way out into the ocean and just right. like jump in and just like, oh, I'll figure, I guess I'll just figure it out. I'm just going to immerse myself in the thing that is, yeah. has terrified me before. Yeah. Except in this case, it was a lot easier to do because I went with somebody else that had a fear of swimming. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that was easy to do. It was easier, right? Like when people suffer together, it's a lot easier to handle it. I think. Yeah. I, I love it. What, what was the, um, what was the training experience like at, at Keller Williams? Yeah. I mean, they would give you scripts. Um, they, it's like a little bit of a pep talk. They give you like a strategy and then, um, you had like mentors, you can go to them and ask them questions. Um, they had videos. I even signed up to a thing called bold, um, where it was like a few, a one week, like workshop. I put on my credit card. It was like a thousand bucks back in the day. Um, and I went to like one of the, my mentors in color. He's like, Hey, you should do it. So I put on my credit card and they really get you outside of your, it's very like raw, 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 <clears throat> but they get you like, there's exercise in between where they tell you, all right, go make calls with the script that we gave you. Um, and it was a mindset thing. And so I did bold. It was nice. It was cute. Uh, but it got me into like a more outside of my comfort zone. Um, so there was just a lot of, um, they just enabled you, right? Like they gave you a lot of confidence and, and like told you that this is the right thing to do. And I think that was really important. But it made me, when I was cold calling, it was in me, me and my buddy on our own. Um, but, and then you, you tend to, over time, you tend to enjoy it. You're just like, now it's just like, you're trying to master your craft. And so you're, you're cold calling and you're, you're improving your neck, your, your next cold call. And I learned a lot, like, right. Like uh, I uh, like desperate, like not sounding desperate on a call, even if you're really hungry is like an important skill set. Um, I, don't know, I learned a lot. Like looking back, if I do, if I were to do it all over again, look with what I know now about sales, I probably would have been more successful. Obviously, that's just how life goes. But yeah, I think the partner thing is is so important um, and is underrated. To I remember when I started uh, in sales, it was in college doing Cutco, and mm. there were two other guys. It's this probably a, a fairly similar thing to to the real estate where it's you you got to start from scratch and you're getting referrals and all that stuff and um there's two other guys that we we held each other accountable and we'd never sold anything before and we all were kind of like getting a little bit competitive but also it was, it was friend it was a supportive competition where you're still pumped if you know your buddy goes and, and closes the big you know gets a knife set sold and then you want to go do it um, or if you're having a tough time that you, you help each other out. And I, I think for anyone that's, you know, early on in their, in their sales career or at any point struggling, I think it's, especially if you're in a virtual environment, like it's tougher to do, but it's super important. Like go team up with someone on your team Yeah. And say, Hey, look, like, I, I don't know about you, but like, I need some, like, I need some help. I need some, maybe some support. Like, would you be down to I, mean, I don't even know how people do it in a virtual world, but like, would you be down to hop on a zoom and we're making cold calls together or, yeah. uh, you know, have a meeting every Friday. as like an accountability buddy to, um, you know, get after it make sure like we're, we're sticking to, you know, the plan here. I, I, I just see so much value in, and it takes no money. It takes little change. You just got to find that one person and, and, uh, and, and try to help push each other to, you know, kind of be better. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta care enough. I remember in after college when I was like in between jobs, um, like before I decided like, I'm going to do something about my life. Um, I found a job on Craigslist, of course. Um, it was a company called SEO experts and they promised, um, it was a cold calling position, 100% uh, commission. And then after a certain period of time, if you hit close enough sales, they'll pay you a $50,000 salary. Again, back then 50 K was like, Whoa, Oh my God, rich. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll take the job. Um, and I remember I had, I opened up like a yellow pages and I would call, but I would get nervous. And so what I would do, I'd go into uh, my dad's like, uh, like liquor cabinet and I would take shots of like whiskey, um, yeah. to like <laughs> calm myself down. But I was still nervous, but like, I was just like more extroverted nervous. And so I would call and then like, I remember I one one day I, I drank too much whiskey. Um, <laughs> and I ended up, uh, not, I wasn't able to make the call. So I went to the bathroom. And I just threw up. I was like, oh my God, like I really have, <laughs> I am really scared of sales. Jeez. You're yeah. saying this is before or after, this is after Keller Williams. Before, before Keller Williams. Oh, this is before. <laughs> yeah. After Keller Williams, I was, I was able to make the calls, but like before I was like at home, there was like, a, it was a, you can make the calls from home. doesn't matter. It's hundred percent commission. And I just, I use, I drank to get over my, and it just didn't help. It was really bad. I, I threw up. I legit threw up. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
Um, you, you wrote also a little bit, uh, about uh, on your LinkedIn bio, like in part of this, is what we're talking about, but you, you talked about investing in yourself. Mm. And I think part of that, it sounds like is, is the time commitment and the accountability partner commitment to, you know, you, like you said, like, I'm on a mission to, to figure this thing out. Like I'm at a dead end. Like I, I got to make this work. I'm curious if there's other times throughout, you know, between today and those Keller William days where any investment in yourself has, has really paid off, whether it be in books or courses or yeah. a job you took or your health or whatever it might be. I'm just curious if anything comes to mind there. Yeah. I mean, so I think, I think when I was like investing in myself and doing all those things, I just got sick and tired of my own excuses. Um, I, I was like tired of hearing myself complain and, and quit. And I was like, I, 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 need, I need to like, I can't hang out with more anymore. <laughs> like I need to hang out with this new more. Um, yeah. And so after Keller Williams, about a year, a year into the role, I had a choice. Usually they say the year is the hardest. So a year into the role, um, I was reading an article that Redfin.com bought a brokerage, a mom and pop brokerage. And I was like, holy shit, like real estate is going to go digital now. Like um, Redfin is going to hire full-time agents. They're going to pay them a salary. And they're going to go show properties and I'm going to be competing with those folks. That's going to be hard unless I'm like a, a top-notch agent. And I wasn't. Um, so I had a choice. Do I join, uh, do I stay real estate and maybe pivot somewhere within real estate or do I make a complete 360 and join tech? Cause clearly tech is where, where, where the game's at right now. And, and I just, I had a, like a moment of like, Oh shit, it's going to happen anytime soon. And so I pivoted, I joined tech. Um, first two startups I joined failed third one. I joined practice Panther was a very, a, a big success. Um, and I joined in as the first, uh, employee and then became VP of sales. But in that company, I had to do a lot of demos, a lot, a lot of demos. And, um, yeah, so what I did there, um, I had a, the, the, the former founder of that company was like a mentor to me. So that's number one, find a mentor. Um, I happened to get lucky cause he was like very much into mentorship. And then I would, um, like I said, like I wanted to get better. I, I was sick and tired of my excuses. So I went on YouTube and I type up, like if after a demo, I felt like I couldn't go get over a price objection or whatever objection, I'd go on YouTube or Google and type it up. And so whatever I found, I'd go into like this rabbit hole of like, I found Grant, that's how I found Grant Cardone back in the day. I found Grant Cardone. I watches, I subscribe to his YouTube channel. I finally paid for like one of his $100 webinar. I bought his book and then like, right? Like you just buy, and then you're like, all right, his stuff helps. I'm sure there are other people. And then you start buying more books and reading more YouTube channels, uh, watching more YouTube channels. Um, and so that's what I did early on. Um, and today, yeah, I mean, like I'm in certain communities, but what I do to invest myself today. So I, I buy books. I listen to podcasts. Um, I, I watch, I mean, I'm also watching YouTube channels. I create a, um, I have like a Trello board. It's like my swipe file. Um, and so like each, there'll be like a board that says, uh, website, um, I don't know, um, copywriting, like different things that I'll, areas that I, I'd like to get really good at. And so if I see anything either on an ad online or an email that I get or a post I see on LinkedIn, I'm like, wow, that's really cool. I love that. I'll take that and I'll put it on my Trello board or my swipe file. And so I, I build a sort of like a playbook of what I like and what I think would work for me. Um, so those are some stuff. Um, yeah, I love that idea. Um, I want to talk about from demo to close. So, uh, you know, multiple time sales leader, obviously at, despite the early first few years, like have had a really successful sales and sales leadership career. You've got a very like tight niche within like SaaS sellers, helping them get from the demo point in a sales cycle to closing mm -hmm. more deals. What, why, why is that the area that you're focusing on? Yeah. A couple of things. Um, number one, when I would go in as an early employee at SaaS startups, I would, I would go and become VP of sales. Most of these startups had um, already a lead flow coming through from Capterra, whatever it was. And so it was just, it, the name of the game was doing demos. Um, and so that means we had to focus on how to like get the most out of our demos and convert the most. Um, and so I did that cons consistently with a few startups and 
I noticed, like I did it with one startup, I did another startup, another startup, like, oh shit, like I think I have, I'm onto something here and I'm able to get my sales team to close 50 plus percent of the sales demos, sometimes 60%, sometimes 70%, it sort of averages out. Um, and I was like, okay, well, so that's my core competency. I know how to do everything else, but like that's like an area that I know really, really well. Um, prospecting and outbound, yeah, I know it. Um, I don't do it as much. And there are plenty of folks that do it online. Uh, like there are plenty of content creators on LinkedIn, uh, Jason Bay, Ethan Parker, Morgan Ingram. There's a lot, there's a lot that do it and they know what they're doing and they do it on a daily. Um, I was doing more demos on a daily versus outbound. Um, and then I started talking to other reps in other companies and, or I'd give advice to my rep that was like struggling on a demo and I'd give him advice and he would go on a demo and he'd do it and he would close it. And I would see his like faces like, holy shit, that worked. I was like, whoa, like that's, that's really cool. Um, and then I wondered, I'm like, Hey, I don't really see, um, any training around this online. I see a lot of outbound, not more, not on, on demo to close. Um, and so I did some market research and I was like, you know, let me release from demo to close. Um, initially it started off as like a course just like a, a, a yearly subscription course. And the reason why yearly, because they get access to ongoing stuff. Um, and then I realized, and based on additional market research that some people need just more handholding and they need someone to like guide them along the way. Um, and so a course doesn't do that. A course requires you to have the discipline and you to make the time for it. And so that's risky on both ends. And so I was, I was like, let me pivot and let me create FTTC as a training program where if they sign up to the training program, they also get access to the course or if they don't want the training, they can just choose the course. They have, op they have options here. Um, and so I recently pivoted and now I offer like the training program. Um, and part of the release of the training program was I need to make sure that I know what I'm like, sometimes you get into an imposter syndrome, even after you've had success. Um, and so I was like, okay, let, let me offer free coaching to a handful of reps, um, and see if it helps. And I did that and they closed demo. They closed their demo. Either they did a one call close or the next demo they closed, or they had better discovery. And I was like, do you mind if I get like a testimonial from you, if you, if you're open to it, as long as I've helped. And they've all sent me a video testimony. I was like, okay, there's, there's a concept here. And I spoke to other VPs of sales and other founders. I'm like, do you think there's a need for this? They're like, yes, I think there's a major need for this. I just think, um, that there's like a the trend is more about like how to get leads because every company is trying to get leads but what do you do when you actually get the leads what do you do to close them um and so some companies think that their problem of revenue is not the the closing but it's more of number of leads that you get so they pour more money into leads. they hire more sdrs or more aes but they really need a you don't need more leads necessarily you need to close more demos um and if you do that consistently then it makes sense to put more money into leads so what are the um what's one of the most like common mistakes that you see when you start training reps that they're making in their demos that's like just happens all the time that you make a fix on yeah discovery is always the the is always like the the red flag. Um, either they they don't do a deep enough discovery, meaning they just ask like one or two or three questions, and then they show the, the demo, the feature, the features, or they just ask really rando questions that mean nothing, um, or they stay too on too much on the service on discovery. So they'll ask a question why are you looking to leave the competitor or why are you looking at our solution? And the prospect will say, yeah, we're looking for a more robust system. Oh, amazing. Well, you come to the right place. Like, like that's not, not this, that's <laughs> not discovery. Um, and so I think th there's a lot, but discovery is always like the default because whenever you look at why they didn't close or why they churned, it always comes back to discovery. I remember when I was coaching my team, they, they would close a deal, one call close, they would cancel after 90 days. And I'm like, why do they can't, why do they sign up with you in the first place? They're like, I don't know. I'm like, we didn't do He's like, yeah, we did the demo. They were excited and I closed them. And so we, a lack of discovery can cause, um, a, a churn, it can cause churn. It can cause lack of alignment. Um, it can cause a deal not to close because you're showing the wrong features or you're showing too many features. Um, sometimes you just don't need to show any features. You just need to show maybe like, customer support, whatever, like that. who knows? Like it all comes down to this. It's the Intel. You can't make decisions without Intel, without data. There seems to be a lot of debate uh, around the topic of when to demo in the sales cycle uh, as it relates to discovery. And I'm, I know that 
everything's different in terms of the product you're selling, how big the company is, what the sales mm -hmm. cycle, all that good stuff. But if we were to, if we were to maybe just cut like a, a broader a broader statement, I feel like there's people in the camp of you need to do discovery to, you know, better understand the opportunity so that when you demo, you can customize it and you want to, you know, really kind of put your best foot forward. And then you do discovery during the demo. Um, there's other people that believe that if you are not willing to show anything on that first call, even a mini demo or even like something to wet the whistle, um, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're making the sales cycle longer. It's harder to buy. Um, and you should potentially try to incorporate both into the same call and maybe do a, a part two demo or whatever if you need to later. Um, I'm curious on your take on the topic. Yeah. Obviously, it does depend. Um, it depends on a lot. If I'm doing a, uh, if I have a scheduled demo, and I get on the call, and part of that demo is me doing discovery, and that discovery ends up bleeding over like more than ten minutes, and it actually is like it's going really well, and they're opening up and telling me everything. I'm not going to rush to the demo. I'm just going to I'm going to milk the discovery because again, it's more intel that I'm gathering, and then I'll try. I'll maybe talk a high level of the demo. I'll show them like one or two things, but I wouldn't even actually. I'll give like really really high level, and I'll say something like, "Hey, Tom." I think what you're looking for, something that, like after the whole discovery, I think what you need is is something that we can we can do all. We, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to go over right now, but that's okay. If you want, we can do the demo now and we'll have time, or we can talk later in the afternoon or tomorrow, which one works better for you. And so the guy's like, yeah, yeah, I have time now. Let's just do the demo. Then do the demo. The question is like, well, how can you customize the demo? It depends on the type of software you have. Um, like you have Reprise, you have um, Demo Stack, I think these softwares uh, that like sit on your solution are for solutions that are way more technical. Um, but there are some solutions, like I don't think you need to customize like Gong, right? Like I don't think you need a demo stack or reprise for Gong. I just don't think. I think um, Gong has enough of its features there that you can show off on the demo. So if you're doing the discovery and, and the person wants like purely to, I don't know, I know Gong has like an ability to, um, uh, the emails can sync over from HubSpot so you can actually coach on the emails, right? Like that's a really cool feature. And let's just say that's the only thing that they care about, then you don't need to customize the demo for that. Unless you're brand new, by the way. If you're a new rep, then you may need some time to wrap your head around how the software works. But if you've done it many times before, you could, you could instantly like talk about a feature in in, in the context of what your prospect is looking for. Um, I think I gave you a very long-winded answer, but um, I tend to, at least for SMB mid-market, I tend to do demos on the, I do the discos and the demos on the call. There are times where I don't have time for the demo because we've had a long discovery call and then we'll just schedule a demo number two or demo number three or whatever it is. I don't think, I think being stiff with it is going to hurt you. I think being more flexible with it is, is going to help you. So if you're more flexible, like, all right, I'll do that. My intention is to do the demo. If I don't, if we don't have enough time or if we do have enough time, but it won't actually justify the demo and our company, then it's better off. We schedule a follow-up. Um, that's fine too. You mentioned uh, demo stack and reprise for uh, folks that, you know, it, maybe if it's a more technical sale, but any, um, any sales tech that you lean into when you're, you're coaching up the teams or that you suggest that folks use or in this specific part of the sales cycle that, or even that you use um, when you're, you're selling or have sold in the past that have been game changers for you? Yeah, I feel like a conversation intelligence solution like Gong, Avoma, Chorus, Refact, all of them. I think they're all, um, that you, need, you need to have it. It's not, it's not even like a luxury anymore. It's, it's, a, it's a must have. Um, which one is best? I mean, everyone has to do their own sort of homework and, and decide. Um, that, that's neat to have because otherwise the old school method of doing it is what I used to do before I, I went with one was I would record the Zoom. I would have a call with you and I'd record the recording of the demo coaching session and I would write my notes like pros, room for improvement. And the problem with that is it, it, you're writing the notes, but you're not creating patterns. You're not creating data sets and you don't, you don't have like a scope into the whole org. And it's, it's really bad if you're trying to scale. Um, I think if you're on a budget, sure, that's the way to go. But otherwise, um, yeah, one of these like conversation intelligence solutions is a, is a must have. Yep. Um, and, and just having it isn't enough. You need that. I'm, I'm going to post about this on LinkedIn, like maybe in a couple of weeks, but like you can have a real, you, you can have a car. You need to go to like a concert, 
someone or you need to go to New York and travel. You have a plane without the pilot, you're not going anywhere. So you can have Gong, you can have Refract, you can have Avoma, but without someone using it to coach you, without the sales leader or the sales coach, you've got nothing. You've got you've got 100%. right. So it's not enough just to have something. You need to have something that's driving it. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Um, I want to pull you to a couple rapid fires before we head off for the yeah. morning. Um, so we talked about um, you know, some of the the investing in yourself earlier, you mentioned, um, Greg Cardone, you mentioned a few other names, any books in particular, um, that at any point in your, your journey have been, uh, really game changers for you. And it, it could be in a sales or business. It, it could be something completely different if that's what strikes you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, Greg Cardone was like the early stage and over time you start to like get exposed to other people on LinkedIn yeah. online. Um, but, um, not all books that I've read are all like sales books, obviously. Like I read a lot of copywriting books, um, like a book called Cash Advertising. Um, mm. There is a book that I'm reading now called Story Brand. Um, it's oh, not a new book. book. Yeah, it's a great one. It just gives you like, if I were to like pluck out like the takeaway from that book is it's how to understand your buyer persona and how to speak to that buyer persona, which is yeah. a skill that a lot of AEs and sales reps just don't have. They don't talk to the buyer. They talk just about the product. Um, so that's a book that I'm, I'm reading now and I'm rereading it and I'm like taking notes. Um, there are certain books where you can just like read, but like really tactical books require you to sit down, maybe read a couple of pages and actually do the assignments on it. So that was, that was one. I read a lot of leadership books when I was a VP of sales. Um, so it's very different than sales itself. Um, copywriting books, psychology books. So like uh, I read a book called Unlocking Greatness. It's in my bag and I take it wherever I go. Um, it's one of those books really? that I'll, I'll, I'll always read. Yeah. It's, it has a that? very, I don't know if I've heard of it. has a very cliche title, Unlocking Greatness. Um, but, uh, and I just like, I was, you know, I'll take a chance. I'll read it. And I was hooked. I was like, wow, this is a really good book. Um, it talks about like neuroplasticity and, and how mm. um, it's, we cause our limiting beliefs, not anything else. You know, it's like, like it's anything like, you know, Tony, I'm reading right now a Tony Robbins book called Awake Giant Within. Um, I, I read it before, I'm reading it again. But when you read books twice and you actually take the time to read it, I have like, I have like a whole uh, notebook of notes from that book. And like, I have a whole, um, I have a notebook somewhere here where after like, when I read the book, it talks about like limiting beliefs and I would write down my limiting beliefs. And I was like, all right, this is where I'm weak at. This is what I'm like, my weakness as more Asuin, it's all these things. Um, and so these books really helpful. And then I follow people on LinkedIn, like Josh Braun, I think has an interesting take on, on prospecting. Yep. I don't know that everything is true to what he says, but, um, but I like it. It's fresh. Um, you know, so like I'll, I'll, uh, there's one, somebody I just followed. His name is Vin. Uh, Vin from demand base. Yeah. Yeah. Lo love his him stuff. Yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah. Love his stuff. Um, I, I somehow stumbled upon one of his posts. I was like, wow, this is like authentic. It's really helpful. And like, you don't see a lot of that on LinkedIn. You see very small amount. Um, and I just follow him and I put him in my, like my folders of people to follow. Um, great yeah. for prospecting and building out very like uh, targeted campaigns. But so reading doesn't have to be books. It could, it could be posts. Um, yep. And that's why I don't know who posted this. Uh, I forgot it was an AE. And my recommendation, oh, they were talking about um, how much, like how there's so many like thought leaders and advice on LinkedIn, on cold calling, on prospecting, on emailing. And my recommendation to them was create a swipe file. You can use Trello. So I have that on my Trello. So I have a board that's called cold calling, a board that's called cold emailing, um, and maybe a board that's called like follow-up, whatever it is. And all that advice that I read on LinkedIn about those areas that I think is really helpful, I'll take that post and I'll put it on my swipe file. And so instead of just like randomly like getting lost in LinkedIn, I go to my Trello board. I'm like, all right, I need to send out a cold email. I have a few options based on my best choices here that I've added. Mm. I need to do that. I've heard it's, of Trello, but I haven't used it before. It's super helpful. Let me let me open it up real quick. I'm just out of curiosity. What do I have? Because I added something else yesterday. Um, Demo it for me. <laughs> yeah. And then close <laughs> me on it. Uh, what do I have here? I have, oh, I have here. It's called, I created a board called Sales Cocktail. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, you know what? I can't share my screen, but um, but it's called Sales Cocktail. Board number one is prospecting. 
and that could be anything, just prospecting. I have like a post from Kyle Coleman there. I have another board that's called emailing. And so I have like Josh Braun, I have Kyle Coleman, I have a few others that give advice on how to best email. I have one for cold calling. I have one for discovery, follow-ups, demos, closing negotiation, objections, um, and career. And so all that stuff I see on LinkedIn, that's like, wow, that's really tactical. That's really interesting. I can use that. It's a copy and paste strategy. I'm adding it to the board. Mm, I love it. I've been taking stuff and I typically use Evernote, but it's just, it's a lot of, it maybe isn't as organized as, as what you're talking about. So this I is true. It, this is like creating your own personal sales playbook. Yeah. Yeah. I need to check that out. That's great. Um, all right. My last question for you, before we get to, uh, the, uh, the details of where folks can hit you up and, and everything like that is who in your network. You um, Ethan Parker. Okay, I don't know. Either. He is VP of revenue for Alti sales. He, uh, I think he's like a mentor coach at outbound squad also. Um, cool. Ethan Parker. Cool. Um, some more, maybe you could educate us. Obviously folks, one of the top spots, definitely go follow more on, uh, LinkedIn dropping great content there. Um, but maybe tell us about like the, from demo to close and the training program too, and just like how the best place folks can get in contact with you. Yeah. I mean, they can get contact me, contact me on LinkedIn. Um, they should follow my podcast. Um, it's my episodes are five minutes or less. Um, they're the only time my episodes are 20 minutes or more is when I have a monthly special guest like, uh, Nick Zagelski. I had Colin Mitchell, Ethan Parker. I'm going to have a few other uh, big name guests on my uh, show, but it's all tactical. It's there's no fluff. It, there's no, how's the weather. It's just straight advice. So the podcast is called SAS talks from lead to close. Um, you can go there. I'd recommend starting there before even considering training. Cause I give a lot of advice there. Um, and then if you want to check out like, um, the FTTC university or the coaching, the one-on-one -on -one coaching it's demo to close.com, but check out my podcast. It's free. You have nothing to lose. Love it more. Thanks for coming on, man. This was great. Thanks. Tom. appreciate it. Thanks for checking out that episode. Happy January start of the year. Let's kick some ass again. One of my goals for this show is to get as many subscribers, uh, wherever you're listening here, uh, on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, et cetera. Subscribe, leave a review, and then hit me up on uh, LinkedIn, Tom Alemo, uh, or any of my other socials at Tommy Tahoe. Look forward to connecting with you there. Peace.